Section 35 of The Natural History, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Muggleston. The Natural History, Volume 4, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 35. Chapter 30. Sicorium, or Creston otherwise called pancration or ambula twelve remedies wild endive or sicorium has certain refreshing qualities used as an aliment applied by way of lineament it disperses abscesses and a decoction of it loosens the bowels it is also very beneficial to the liver kidneys and stomach a decoction of it in vinegar has the effect of dispelling the pains of strangury and taken in honeyed wine it is a cure for the jaundice if unattended with fever it is beneficial also to the bladder, and a decoction of it in water promotes the menstrual discharge to such an extent as to bring away the dead fetus even. In addition to these qualities, the magicians state that persons who rub themselves with the juice of the entire plant mixed with oil are sure to find more favour with others, and to obtain with greater facility anything they may desire. This plant, in consequence of its numerous salutary virtues, has been called by some persons creston and pancration by others. Chapter 31. Hedipnoeus. Four Remedies. There is a sort of wild endive, too, with a broader leaf, known to some persons as Hedipnoeus. Boiled, it acts as an astringent upon a relaxed stomach, and eaten raw, it is productive of constipation. It is good, too, for dysentery, when eaten with lentils more particularly. This variety, as well as the preceding one, is useful for ruptures and spasmodic contractions, and relieves persons who are suffering from spermatorrhea. Chapter 32. Ceris, three varieties of it, seven remedies borrowed from it. The vegetable, too, called Ceris, which bears a considerable resemblance to the lettuce, consists of two kinds. The wild, which is of a swarthy colour and grows in summer, is the best of the two, the winter kind, which is whiter than the other, being inferior. They are both of them bitter, but are extremely beneficial to the stomach when distressed by humours more particularly. Used as food with vinegar, they are cooling, and, employed as a lineament, they dispel other humours besides those of the stomach. The roots of the wild variety are eaten with polenta for the stomach, and in cardiac diseases they are applied topically above the left breast. Boiled in vinegar, all these vegetables are good for the gout, and for patients troubled with spitting of blood or spermatorrhea, the decoction being taken on alternate days. Petronius Diodotus, who has written a medical anthology, utterly condemns Ceres, and employs a multitude of arguments to support his views. This opinion of his is opposed, however, to that of all other writers on the subject. Chapter 33. The Cabbage. 87 Remedies. Recipes mentioned by Cato. It would be too lengthy a task to enumerate all the praises of the cabbage, more particularly as the physician Chrysippus has devoted a whole volume to the subject, in which its virtues are described in reference to each individual part of the human body. Diuches has done the same, and Pythagoras too in particular. Cato, too, has not been more sparing in his praises than the others, and it will be only right to examine the opinions which he expresses in relation to it, if for no other purpose than to learn what medicines the Roman people made use of for six hundred years. The most ancient Greek writers have distinguished three varieties of the cabbage. The curly cabbage, to which they have given the name of Selenoides, from the resemblance of its leaf to that of the parsley, beneficial to the stomach and moderately relaxing to the bowels. The helia, 
with broad leaves running out from the stalk, a circumstance owing to which some persons have given it the name of collodes, of no use whatever in a medicinal point of view, and a third the name of which is properly cramb, with thinner leaves of simple form and closely packed, more bitter than the others, but extremely efficacious in medicine. Cato esteems the curly cabbage the most highly of all, and next to it the smooth cabbage with large leaves and a thick stalk. He says that it is a good thing for headache, dimness of the sight, and dazzling of the eyes, the spleen, the stomach, and thoracic organs, taken raw in the morning in doses of two acetabula, with oxymel, coriander, rue, mint, and root of sylphium. He says, too, that the virtue of it is so great, that the very person even who beats up this mixture feels himself all the stronger for it, for which reason he recommends it to be taken mixed with these condiments, or, at all events, dressed with a sauce compounded of them. For the gout, too, and diseases of the joints, a lineament of it should be used, he says, with a little rue and coriander, a sprinkling of salt and some barley meal. The very water even in which it has been boiled is wonderfully efficacious, according to him, for the sinews and joints. For wounds, either recent or of long standing, as also for carcinoma, which is incurable by any other mode of treatment, he recommends fomentations to be made with warm water, and, after that, an application of cabbage beaten up, to the parts affected twice a day. He says also that fistulas and sprains should be treated in a similar way, as well as all humours which it may be desirable to bring to a head and disperse, and he states that this vegetable, boiled and eaten fasting in considerable quantities, with oil and salt, has the effect of preventing dreams and wakefulness. Also that if, after one boiling, it is boiled a second time, with the addition of oil, salt, cumin, and polenta, it will relieve gripings in the stomach, and that, if eaten in this way without bread it is more beneficial still. Among various other particulars, he says, that if taken in drink with black wine, it has the effect of carrying off the bilious secretions, and he recommends the urine of a person who has been living on a cabbage diet to be preserved, as, when warmed, it is a good remedy for the diseases of the sinews. I will, however, here give the identical words in which Cato expresses himself upon this point. If you wash little children with this urine, says he, they will never be weak and puny. He recommends also the warm juice of cabbage to be injected into the ears, in combination with wine, and assures us that it is a capital remedy for deafness. And he says that the cabbage is a cure for impetigo without the formation of ulcers. Chapter 34. Opinions of the Greeks relative thereto. As we have already given those of Cato, it will be as well to set forth the opinions entertained by the Greek writers on this subject, only in relation, however, to those points upon which he has omitted to touch. They are of opinion that cabbage, not thoroughly boiled, carries off the bile, and has the effect of loosening the bowels, while, on the other hand, if it is boiled twice over, it will act as an astringent. They say, too, that as there is a natural enmity between it and the vine, it combats the effects of wine, that, if eaten before drinking, it is sure to prevent drunkenness, being equally a dispellent of crapulence if taken after drinking, that cabbage is a food very beneficial to the eyesight, and that the juice of it raw is even more so, if the corners of the eyes are only touched with a mixture of it with attic honey. Cabbage, too, according to the same testimony, is extremely easy of digestion, and, as an aliment, greatly tends to clear the senses. The school of Erasistratus proclaims that there is nothing more beneficial to the stomach and the sinews than cabbage, for which reason, he says, it ought to be given to the paralytic and nervous, as well as to persons affected with spitting of blood. Hippocrates prescribes it, twice boiled and eaten with salt, for dysentery and celiac affections, as also for tenesmus and diseases of the kidneys. 
He is of opinion, too, that as an aliment it increases the quality of the milk in women who are nursing, and that it promotes the menstrual discharge. The stalk, too, eaten raw, is efficacious in expelling the dead foetus. Apollodorus prescribes the seed, or else the juice of the cabbage, to be taken in cases of poisoning by fungi, and Philistian recommends the juice for persons affected with epistotony in goat's milk with salt and honey. I find, too, that persons have been cured of the gout by eating cabbage and drinking a decoction of that plant. This decoction has been given also to persons afflicted with the cardiac disease and epilepsy with the addition of salt, and it has been administered in white wine for affections of the spleen for a period of forty days. According to Philistian, the juice of the raw root should be given as a gargle to persons afflicted with icterus or phrenitis, and for hiccup he prescribes a mixture of it in vinegar with coriander, anise, honey and pepper. Used as a lineament, cabbage, he says, is beneficial for inflations of the stomach, and the very water even in which it has been boiled, mixed with barley meal, is a remedy for the stings of serpents and foul ulcers of long standing, a result which is equally affected by a mixture of cabbage juice with vinegar or fenugreek. It is in this manner, too, that some persons employ it topically, for affections of the joints and for gout. Applied topically, cabbage is a cure for epinctus and all kinds of spreading eruptions on the body, as also for sudden attacks of dimness. Indeed, if eaten with vinegar, it has the effect of curing the last. Applied by itself, it heals contusions and other livid spots, and mixed with a ball of alum in vinegar, it is good as a lineament for leprosy and itch scabs. Used in this way, too, it prevents the hair from falling off. Epicarmus assures us that, applied topically, cabbage is extremely beneficial for diseases of the testes and genitals, and even better still when employed with bruised beans. He says, too, that it is a cure for convulsions, that, in combination with rue, it is good for the burning heats of fever and maladies of the stomach, and that, with rue seed, it brings away the afterbirth. It is of use also for the bite of the shrew-mouse. Dried cabbage leaves, reduced to a powder, are cathartic both by vomit and by stool. Chapter 35. Cabbage Sprouts In all varieties of the cabbage, the part most agreeable to the taste is the cyma, although no use is made of it in medicine, as it is difficult to digest and by no means beneficial to the kidneys. At the same time, too, it should not be omitted that the water in which it has been boiled, and which is so highly praised for many purposes, gives out a very bad smell when poured upon the ground. The ashes of dried cabbage stalks are generally reckoned among the caustic substances. Mixed with a stale grease, they are employed for sciatica, and, used as a lineament, in the form of a depilatory, together with sylphium and vinegar, they prevent hair that has been once removed from growing again. These ashes, too, are taken lukewarm in oil, or else by themselves, for convulsions, internal ruptures, and the effects of falls with violence. And are we to say, then, that the cabbage is possessed of no evil qualities whatever? Certainly not, for the same authors tell us that it is apt to make the breath smell, and that it is injurious to the teeth and gums. In Egypt, too, it is never eaten on account of its extreme bitterness. Chapter 36. The Wild Cabbage. 37 Remedies. Cato extols infinitely more highly the properties of wild or erratic cabbage, so much so, indeed, as to affirm that the very powder of it, dried and collected in a scent-box, has the property, on merely smelling at it, of removing maladies of the nostrils and the bad smells resulting therefrom. Some persons call this wild cabbage Petraea. It has an extreme antipathy to wine, so much so, indeed, that the vine invariably avoids it, and if it cannot make its escape, will be sure to die. 
This vegetable has leaves of uniform shape, small, rounded and smooth, bearing a strong resemblance to the cultivated cabbage. It is whiter and has a more downy leaf. According to Chrysippius, this plant is a remedy for flatulency, melancholy and recent wounds, if applied with honey and not taken off before the end of six days. Beaten up in water, it is good also for scrofula and fistula. Other writers, again, say that it is an effectual cure for spreading sores on the body, known as nomi, that it has the property also of removing excrescences and of reducing the scars of wounds and sores, that if chewed raw with honey, it is a cure for ulcers of the mouth and tonsils, and that a decoction of it used as a gargle with honey is productive of the same effect. They say, too, that mixed in strong vinegar with alum, in the proportion of three parts to two of alum, and then applied as a lineament, it is a cure for itch scabs and leprous sores of long standing. Epicharmus informs us that for the bite of a mad dog it is quite sufficient to apply it topically to the part affected, but that if it is used with sylphium and strong vinegar it is better still. He says, too, that it will kill a dog if given to it with flesh to eat. The seed of this plant, parched, is remedial in cases of poisoning by the stings of serpents, eating fungi, and drinking bull's blood. The leaves of it, either boiled and taken in the food, or else eaten raw, or applied with a lineament of sulphur and nitre, are good for affections of the spleen, as well as hard tumours of the mammillae. In swelling of the uvula, if the parts affected are only touched with the ashes of the root, a cure will be the result, and applied topically with honey, they are equally beneficial for reducing swellings of the parotoid glands, and curing the stings of serpents. We will add only one more proof of the virtues of the cabbage, and that a truly marvellous one. In all vessels in which water is boiled, the incrustations which adhere with such a tenacity that it is otherwise impossible to detach them will fall off immediately if a cabbage is boiled therein. Chapter 37. The Lapsana, One Remedy. Among the wild cabbages we find also the Lapsana, a plant which grows a foot in height, has a hairy leaf, and strongly resembles mustard, were it not that the blossom is whiter. It is eaten cooked, and has the property of soothing and gently relaxing the bowels. Chapter 38. The Sea Cabbage. One Remedy. Sea cabbage is the most strongly purgative of all these plants. It is cooked, in consequence of its extreme pungency, with fat meat, and is extremely detrimental to the stomach. Chapter 39. The Squill. 23 Remedies. In medicine, we give the name of white squill to the male plant, and of black to the female. The whiter the squill, the better it is for medicinal purposes. The dry coats being first taken off it, the remaining part, or so much of it as retains life, is cut into pieces, which are then strung and suspended on a string at short distances from each other. After these pieces are thoroughly dried, they are thrown into a jar of the very strongest vinegar, suspended in such a way, however, as not to touch any portion of the vessel. This is done forty-eight days before the summer solstice. The mouth of the jar is then tightly sealed with plaster, after which it is placed beneath some tiles, which receive the rays of the sun the whole day through. At the end of forty-eight days the vessel is removed, the squills are taken out of it, and the vinegar poured into another jar. This vinegar has the effect of sharpening the eyesight, and, taken every other day, is good for pains in the stomach and sides. The strength of it, however, is so great, that if taken in too large a quantity, it will for some moments produce all the appearance of death. Squills, too, if chewed by themselves even, are good for the gums and teeth, and taken in vinegar and honey, they expel tapeworm and other intestinal worms. Put fresh beneath the tongue, they prevent persons afflicted with dropsy from experiencing thirst. Squills are cooked in various ways, either in a pot with a lining of clay or grease, 
which is put into an oven or furnace, or else cut into pieces and stewed in a saucepan. They are dried also in a raw state, and then cut into pieces and boiled with vinegar, in which case they are employed as a lineament for the stings of serpents. Sometimes, again, they are roasted and then cleaned, after which the middle of the bulb is boiled again in water. When thus boiled, they are used for dropsy as a diuretic, being taken in doses of three eboli with oxymel. They are employed also in a similar manner for affections of the spleen and of the stomach when it is too weak to digest the food, provided no ulcerations have made their appearance. Also for gripings of the bowels, jaundice, and inveterate cough, accompanied with asthma. A cataplasm of squill leaves, taken off at the end of four days, has the effect of dispersing scrofulous swellings of the neck, and a decoction of squills in oil, applied as a lineament, is a cure for dandruff and running ulcers of the head. Squills are boiled in honey also for the table, with the view of aiding the digestion more particularly. Used in this way, too, they act upon the inside as a purgative. Boiled with oil and then mixed with resin, they are a cure for chaps on the feet, and the seed, mixed with honey, is applied topically for the cure of lumbago. Pythagoras says that a squill, suspended at the threshold of the door, effectually shuts all access to evil spells and incantations. Chapter 40. Bulbs. 30 Remedies. Bulbs, steeped in vinegar and sulphur, are good for the cure of wounds in the face. Beaten up and used alone, they are beneficial for contractions of the sinews, mixed with wine for parigo, and used with honey for the bites of dogs. In this last case, however, Erasistratus says that they ought to be mixed with pitch. The same author states that, applied topically with honey, they stanch the flowing of blood. Other writers say, however, that in cases of bleeding at the nose, coriander and meal should be employed in combination with them. Theodorus prescribes bulbs in vinegar for the cure of lichens, and for eruptions in the head he recommends bulbs mixed with astringent wine or an egg beaten up. He treats defluxions of the eyes also with bulbs, applied topically, and uses a similar method for the cure of ophthalmia. The red bulbs, more particularly, will cause spots in the face to disappear if rubbed upon them with honey and nitre in the sun, and applied with wine or boiled cucumber they will remove freckles. Used either by themselves, or, as Damien recommends, in combination with honeyed wine, they are remarkably efficacious for the cure of wounds, care being taken, however, not to remove the application till the end of four days. The same author prescribes them, too, for the cure of fractured ears and collections of crude humours in the testes. For pains in the joints, bulbs are used with meal. Boiled in wine and applied to the abdomen, they reduce hard swellings of the viscera. In dysentery, they are given in wine mixed with rainwater, and for convulsions of the intestines, they are employed, in combination with silphium, in pills the size of a bean. Bruised, they are employed externally for the purpose of checking perspirations. Bulbs are good, too, for the sinews, for which reason it is that they are given to paralytic patients. The red bulb, mixed with honey and salt, heals sprains of the feet with great rapidity. The bulbs of Megara act as a strong aphrodisiac, and garden bulbs, taken with boiled must or raisin wine, aid delivery. Wild bulbs, made up into pills with silphium, affect the cure of wounds and other affections of the intestines. The seed, too, of the cultivated kinds, is taken in wine as a cure for the bite of the phalangium and the bulbs themselves are applied in vinegar for the cure of the stings of serpents. The ancients used to give bulb seed to persons afflicted with madness in drink. The blossom, beaten up, removes spots upon the legs, as well as scorches produced by fire. Diocles is of opinion that the sight is impaired by the use of bulbs. He adds, too, that when boiled, they are not so wholesome as roasted, 
and that, whatever nature they may be, they are difficult of digestion. Chapter 41. Bulbean, one remedy. Bulb emetic. The Greeks give the name bulbean to a plant with leaves resembling those of the leek, and a red bulbous root. This plant, it is said, is marvellously good for wounds, but only when they are of recent date. The bulbous plant, known as the emetic bulb, from the effects which it produces, has dark leaves, and longer than those of the other kinds. Chapter 42. Garden Asparagus, with the next twenty-four remedies. Asparagus is said to be extremely wholesome as an aliment to the stomach. With the addition of cumin, it dispels flatulency of the stomach and colon, it sharpens the eyesight also, acts as a mild aperient on the stomach, and, boiled with wine, is good for pains in the chest and spine, and diseases of the intestines. For pains in the loins and kidneys, asparagus seed is administered in doses of three eboli, taken with an equal proportion of cumin seed. It acts as an aphrodisiac, and is an extremely useful diuretic, except that it has a tendency to ulcerate the bladder. The root, also, pounded and taken in white wine, is highly extolled by some writers as having the effect of disengaging calculi, and of soothing pains in the loins and kidneys. There are some persons, too, who administer this root with sweet wine for pains in the uterus. Boiled in vinegar, the root is very beneficial in cases of elephantiasis. It is said that if a person is rubbed with asparagus beaten up in oil, he will never be stung by bees. Chapter 43. Caruda, Libicum, or Orminum. Wild asparagus is by some persons called Caruda, by others Libicum, and by the people of Attica, Orminus. For all the affections above enumerated, it is more efficacious even than the cultivated kind, that which is white more particularly. This vegetable has the effect of dispelling the jaundice, and a decoction of it, in doses of one hemina, is recommended as an aphrodisiac. A similar effect is produced also by a mixture of asparagus seed and dill, in doses of three eboli respectively. A decoction of asparagus juice is given also for the stings of serpents, and the root of it, mixed with that of marathrum, is reckoned in the number of the most valuable remedies we are acquainted with. In cases of hematuria, Chrysippus recommends a mixture of asparagus, parsley and cumin seed, to be given to the patient every five days in doses of three eboli, mixed with two syaphi of wine. He says, however, that though employed this way it is a good diuretic, it is bad for dropsy, and acts as an antaphrodisiac, and that it is injurious to the bladder unless it is boiled first. He states also that if the water in which it is boiled is given to dogs, it will kill them, and that the juice of the root boiled in wine, kept in the mouth, is an effectual cure for toothache. Chapter 44. Parsley, 17 Remedies. Parsley is held in universal esteem, for we find sprigs of it swimming in the draughts of milk given us to drink in country places, and we know that as a seasoning for sauces, it is looked upon with peculiar favour. Applied to the eyes with honey, which must also be fermented from time to time with a warm decoction of it, it has a most marvellous efficacy in cases of defluxion of those organs or of other parts of the body, as also when beaten up and applied by itself, or in combination with bread or with polenta. Fish, too, when found to be in an ailing state in the preserves, are greatly refreshed by giving them green parsley. As to the opinions entertained upon it among the learned, there is not a single production dug out of the earth in reference to which a greater diversity exists. Parsley is distinguished as male and female. According to Chrysippus, the female plant has a hard leaf and more curled than the other, a thick stem and an acrid hot taste. Dionysius says, that the female is darker than the other kind, has a shorter root, and engenders small worms. 
Both of these writers, however, agree in saying that neither kind of parsley should be admitted into the number of our aliments. Indeed, they look upon it as nothing less than sacrilege to do so, seeing that parsley is consecrated to the funereal feasts in honour of the dead. They say, too, that it is injurious to the eyesight, that the stalk of the female plant engenders small worms, for which reason it is that those who eat of it become barren, males as well as females, and that children suckled by females who live on a parsley diet are sure to be epileptic. They agree, however, in stating that the male plant is not so injurious in its effects as the female, and that it is for this reason that it is not absolutely condemned and classed among the forbidden plants. The leaves of it, employed as a cataplasm, are used for dispersing hard tumours in the mammillae, and when boiled in water it makes it more agreeable to drink. The juice of the root, more particularly mixed with wine, allays the pains of lumbago, and, injected into the ears, it diminishes hardness of hearing. The seed of it acts as a diuretic, promotes the menstrual discharge, and brings away the afterbirth. Bruises and livid spots, if fermented with a decoction of parsley seed, will resume their natural colour. Applied topically, with the white of egg, or boiled in water, and then drunk, it is remedial for affections of the kidneys, and beaten up in cold water, it is a cure for ulcers of the mouth. The seed, mixed with wine, or the root, taken with old wine, has the effect of breaking calculi in the bladder. The seed, too, is given in white wine, to persons afflicted with the jaundice. Chapter 45. Apiastrum, or Melissophyllum. Hyginius gave the name of Apiastrum to Melissophyllum, but that which grows in Sardinia is poisonous, and universally condemned. I speak here of this plant, because I feel it my duty to place before the reader every object which has been classified among the Greeks under the same name. End of section 35.